0: I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to First Chronicles. Not First Corinthians, but First Chronicles, chapter 16. Perhaps that's not a book you've spent a lot of time in. I could understand that. It's on page 40, uh, 410, rather, of the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 410 will be 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 28, where we're going to begin. So if you want to follow along and that helps you get there, you can look on page 410. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here. First Chronicles is one of the history books of the Old Testament, one of the history books of Israel. The Old Testament has a lot of different kinds of literature. It has history, it has poetry, it has prophetic literature, it has wisdom literature, it's got all of that. This is one of the history books, and it tells the history of the nation of Israel. And in chapter 16, it tells a particularly significant moment in the nation's history. This is a moment when King David had the Ark of the Covenant returned To Jerusalem. You see, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by Israel's enemies. Shortly after that, it had been returned to Israel, but it had been put in storage, if you will, for about 20 years in the home of a man named Abinadab. Well, then King David, or David becomes king at that point, and he builds a home for the Ark, and he brings it back to Jerusalem, Israel's capital city. And this is significant, because the Ark of the Covenant is the place where God's presence was manifested among His people, the people of Israel. Now, we know that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But He, in the Old Testament in particular, He manifested His presence in a particular way, in a localized way, among His people. If you are in Sunday school this morning, you talked a little bit about that in our adult Sunday school classes. He manifests His presence in a particular way among His people, and it was associated with the Ark of the Covenant. And later on, it was in the temple. When the temple was built, the Ark of the Covenant was put into the Holy of Holies. And it was in the Holy of Holies that God's presence was manifested in the temple among his people. And so David brings it back and he organizes a worship service to the Lord on the occasion of the Ark returning to Jerusalem, the capital city. And he gets a guy named Asaph to write a a poem. It's an eight stanza. A poem is probably a song Um, that he wrote for the people to worship. And it has these eight stanzas, and we're not going to read them all, but we are going to look at verses 28 through 30, one of the stanzas, because they say something about the connection between worship and the glory of God. Listen to what Asaph wrote for the people. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And you could read that word splendor is glory. Worship the Lord in the splendor or the glory or the beauty of His holiness. Father, we come to You this morning for that very reason to worship You. Father, help us to understand how our worship is connected to your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago in Britain, researchers went door to door asking people about their belief in God. And one of the questions they asked the people was this, Do you believe in a God who intervenes in human history, who changes the course of affairs, who performs miracles, and so on? That was one of the questions. And when they published their findings, their report, they took the title of the report from an answer that one of the men gave, which they felt was typical of many of the answers from the people they talked to. He said this, No, I don't believe in that God. I believe in the ordinary God. So let me ask you a question this morning. What kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe in the God who is glorious and powerful and sovereign and eternal, the God that we read about in scriptures, or do you believe in just an ordinary God? Now you may say, no, I believe in that God. I believe in the God of the scriptures, the God who does all those things, the powerful, eternal God. Well, here's the follow-up question then. What does your worship say about the God that you believe in? This morning, we're finishing our series entitled, The Glory of God. And just by way of review, remember what we mean when we say, when we talk about the glory of God. The glory of God is is the, the perfection of His nature, is the excellence or the beauty of His divine nature. And we saw two weeks ago that the glory of God is at the heart of our obedience to God. We obey Him because morality itself is a reflection of God's nature. It's not just some sort of list that somebody created somewhere. Right and wrong, a reflection of God's nature. So when we obey God, we do what is right. We are bringing glory to Him. We are honoring the glory of God. We saw last week that the glory of God is at the heart of our salvation. Salvation is not primarily about you and me and what we receive, although that's pretty great. But salvation is primarily about the glory of God. If you missed either one of those messages, they're online at our website, fbcalachua.com. There's a place on the homepage there. It says, listen to the sermons, and you can go there and listen to them. But this morning, I want us to finish by seeing that God's glory is at the heart of our worship. Asaph says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. You see, it's not enough for us to say that worship is not about you and me. That's true. Worship's not about us. It's not about what we get out of it. But it's not enough to say that. We, We need to go one step further and say that worship must be a reaction to and a reflection of God's glory. In other words, we worship God, because of who He is, because of His glory, and our worship itself ought to reflect His glory. And so we worship Him in that way. And so we worship God because of His glory. But the question is, what kind of worship glorifies God? What kind of worship brings Him the glory that is due His name? To answer that question... We're going to take a bit of a systematic approach this morning. Instead of just camping out in one passage as we usually do, we're going to look at a number of different passages because there is no one chapter, no one book of the Bible that gives us all of the the answers about worship. And so we're going to look at a number of passages and see what the Bible has to say as a whole about this subject of worship. And here's what we're going to discover. An attitude of worship gives way to a lifestyle of worship which leads to an expression of worship. An attitude of worship gives way to a lifestyle of worship, which leads to an expression of worship. And those, I believe, are the three elements of worship that bring glory to God. Our attitude, our lifestyle, and our expression. And so I want to look at each of those one at a time. And here's what we're going to see. Number one, worship God with an attitude of humility. Worship God with an attitude of humility. In 2012, a 19-year-old man from Washington State named Dakota Guerin was charged with stealing a rare coin collection worth at least $100,000. After Garin had completed some part-time work for a woman living north of Portland, the woman reported that her family's coin collection was missing. Her collection included a variety of rare and valuable coins, including Liberty Headquarters, Morgan Dollars, and other coins dating back to the early 1800s. Initially, Garen denied having any involvement with this. He told police they didn't have any evidence against him. But then he started spending the coins at face value, apparently unaware of their real worth. He and his girlfriend paid for movie tickets using quarters worth between $5 and $68. Later on in the same day, they bought some local pizza with rare coins including a Liberty quarter that may be worth as much as $18,500. I'm hoping it was good pizza. The news article reported Garen has been charged with first-degree theft and is being held in jail on a $40,000 bond, which technically is an amount that he could afford if the coin collection were actually his. <laughs> now, what's this guy's problem? Other than the fact that he's a creep and he stole from this lady. I mean, but what's his problem? He, he's dumb. He did not recognize the value of the coins he had stolen, right? He didn't recognize what they were worth. And so he treated them as just ordinary coins instead of what they were really worth. If he had known, he would have treated them differently. Worship that glorifies God is the kind of worship that issues out of a proper understanding of who God is and consequently of who we are in relationship to Him. It is worship that properly values God's glory. That's why the most common word for worship used in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, shakal, which means to bow down or to bend the knee. Now think through the imagery of that for a minute. Of bowing before somebody or of kneeling before somebody. That is a position, a posture of humility. It's a posture that says, you are greater than I. I am lowering myself in your presence because I am deferring to you because you are the greater, I am the lesser. Here are a couple of examples of of worship using that word in the Old Testament after King Solomon built a temple in Israel, he dedicated it with a very lengthy prayer, and then the Bible says this it's in your notes second uh, chronicles. Chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, meaning uh, some particular manifestation of His excellence and His perfect nature filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, "He is good; his love endures forever." King David wrote this in Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down and worship; let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Likewise in the New Testament, the most common word for worship is a Greek word, proskaneo. Pros means toward, kaneo means to kiss. Kind of an awkward word, to kiss toward. But it, it comes from this idea of kissing the ground when prostrating oneself before a superior. One lexicon defines it this way, to fall down to adore on one's knees. So here are some examples from the New Testament of this word in use. So this is from Matthew chapter 2, the birth story of Jesus. On coming to the house, the Magi saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then there's a picture of a a worship service in heaven as witnessed by the Apostle John. I read one of them. Here's another one. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. So worship has connected with this this idea of bowing or kneeling before God. But the important thing is that it issues from a heart of humility. That's what the bowing and kneeling is about. It's a reflection of a humble attitude. We need to understand who God is and who we are. He is infinite. We are finite. He is the creator. We are the creatures. He is holy, we are sinful, and so on. And because He is all of those things, we worship Him in an attitude of humility. That's why David says in Psalm chapter 5, or 7, But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence I bow down toward your holy temple. Bowing or kneeling is a sign of reverence. And we can still do that today as an expression of our humility. I attended a church in Dallas for a number of years, a Baptist church, First Baptist Church, Dallas, that had kneelers in the pews. And when we prayed, we'd pull the kneelers down, and we would kneel when we prayed. Uh, We bow our heads when we pray, do we not? Now, the significance of that may be lost on many of us because it's become so traditional and so cultural that we've lost the, the understanding of what it is. But what do we do when we bow our heads? We're bowing before God, and we're saying, you are greater than we are. We could still do that, today as an expression of our humility but here's the difference in the old testament god's presence was manifested in a particular place in the holy of holies in the temple that's where god was as far as the people were concerned in his presence among the people he was there in that building and so worship including bowing was directed toward his localized presence But under the new covenant, initiated by Jesus, the covenant under which we live, there has been a radical shift. God's presence is now within His people. We don't go somewhere to be near God. God has taken up residency within us. We are His temple. And so we don't come to church because this is where God is. That's an old covenant concept. It's a concept I think many of us still cling to, but we don't come to this place because this is where you meet God. We come to church together with other believers in His name. And so we find, as we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, that in the New Testament, there is an emphasis on the internal reality of worship and less of an emphasis on the external forms of worship. Do you understand what I mean? In the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament and talk about worship... You had to come at this place at this time in this way wearing these kind of clothes with this kind of sacrifice for this kind of festival. It lasted this many days. You did this. It was very, very prescripted. The external forms, how you worshiped God. In the New Testament, you don't find that. You don't find all of these these details about how we worship God. The emphasis is on the internal, what's going on in your heart. Again, bowing and kneeling may be a meaningful form of worship to you. And if it is, do it as an expression of your reverence to God. But the real question is, what is the condition of your heart? Do you live before God in humility? Not just on a certain day and at a certain place, but every day, every place that you go. Do you live with that attitude of bowing or kneeling before God? See, the matter is an internal internal matter. That's why Peter says in in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Not that there can't be an external expression of that, or shouldn't be. But the question is, where is it starting? Where is it coming from? And it must come from the heart. An attitude of humility is essential to worship that glorifies God. And here's the thing. When we have that attitude of humility... When we are humble before God, it's going to lead to some other things as well. It's going to lead to a certain kind of life that we live, a certain kind of lifestyle that we live. It's going to lead to a lifestyle of service and sacrifice. So here's the second element that we need to talk about in terms of worship that glorifies God. It's this, worship God with a life of service. Worship God with a life of service. And we find this most explicitly stated in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look in your notes there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now look at this statement. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, under the Old Covenant, worshipers brought an animal sacrifice to God as a part of the worship. We don't do that anymore. Paul says under the New Covenant, we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. And he says this is what real worship is all about. Notice again that in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, it de-emphasizes the external forms of worship and it emphasizes the internal, what's going on in your life. You see, worship isn't about a worship service. It's not about a building. It's not about a particular order of service. It's not about the kinds of songs we sing or when we meet. Those aren't the primary elements that we need to be concerned about. But that's what we spend a lot of our time on, isn't it? We spend a lot of our time on the externals and on the particulars of how and when and and all of that. What you're supposed to wear to church and all of that. But Paul says, no, it's about your life and the kind of life that you live. I like the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases. Brad read from the message this morning. Here's here's this paraphrase of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what he says. He puts it in kind of a folksy language. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I like that. See, if you come to church because you think this is where you meet God, then you've missed the point of real worship. This building isn't God's sanctuary. You are God's sanctuary if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not the building. So everything you do every day of the week, everywhere you go should be done to honor God. God, or as Paul says there in Romans 12, 1, to please God. This is what worship is. So here's the question Do you worship God in the way you work, no matter what your job is? In the way that you do your work, do you worship God? In other words, are you pleasing God? Are you honoring God in the way that you work? Do you worship God in the way that you interact with your family? Do you worship God in the way that you mow your lawn? Ouch. Do you worship God with what you watch on TV and how you surf the internet? Do you worship God in the way you interact with your friends? Do you worship God with the words that you use and the thoughts that you think? See, do you live with this awareness that every part of your life belongs to Him? and is to be offered in service to To Him. This is real worship. It flows out of this attitude of humility. And it glorifies God. Why does it glorify God? Because when you live like this, what you're saying to God is, God, You are so great. You are so glorious that I am willing to conform my life to Your life. I am willing to sacrifice my life for Your pleasure. I am willing to make Your agenda my agenda. I will give my life for you. I'm willing to make every part of my life an expression of worship to you. So worship that glorifies God is rooted in this attitude of humility. It's displayed in a a life of sacrifice or service. But we need to add one more element to that because you can do all of that and it could still be very private. You know, when I say that that there's a a de-emphasis of external forms of worship, in the New Testament, that, that there's more of an emphasis of the internal. I, I don't mean to say that worship then is just a private thing. That's just about between you and your God, and you know, it's just private between you and Him, and that, that's the thing, and that, that's all. No, 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 no. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be unseen by people. So here's the final point. Worship God with an expression of Praise. Worship God with an expression of praise. Look back with me. I hope you still have 1 Chronicles 16 open. Look back with me there and run up to verse 4. We're not going to read through this whole thing, but I want you to see some of the verbs that Asaph uses here. In verse 4, he talks about thanking the Lord and praising the Lord. Look in verse 5 and 6. Play the the lyres and harps. Sound the cymbals. Blow the trumpets. Verse 7. Give praise to the Lord. Verse 8 and 9. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name Sing to His name. Sing praise to Him. Tell of His wonderful acts. Verse 10. Let the hearts of those who seek God rejoice. Verse 23. Sing to the Lord. Proclaim His salvation. Declare His glory. Verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Do His name. Verse 34. Give thanks. You get the idea that our worship is not to be passive and quiet. But it is to be active and expressive. We are to respond to the glory of God with an expression of praise. And if we don't, there's something wrong with our worship. On February 19, 1930, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette ran a story from Vienna, Austria of a woman named Corinne Ward. Corinne was a struggling actress who received a phone call from an attorney telling her. That she had been mentioned in the will of one of her of one of the attorney's deceased clients. Meeting on the agreed upon time at the attorney's office, Corin was told that the will belonged to a man who wished only to be known as Doctor Mizaros. Corin told the attorney she didn't know any doctor by that name and wondered if there had been some sort of mistake. The lawyer wasn't surprised that Corn didn't recognize the name, but there was no doubting that Doctor Mizaros knew Corin. According to the good doctor's attorney, Mazaros lived in the same city as Corn, and had fallen head over heels in love with her. Mazaros, however, suffered from debilitating fears and never worked up the courage to speak to the woman he admired from afar. But neither could he move on past the woman who captured his heart. He died alone and he left Corn every penny that he had saved over the course of his life, $50,000. In 1930, that was worth something, right? Mazoris loved Corin, but he never expressed his love in either words and actions. And as a result, the fullness of his love was never realized. If you love God, express it through your praise to His name. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Also give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Notice the emphasis on the eternal internal. It comes from the heart. See, that's the emphasis of the New Testament. Make music from your heart to the Lord. But it doesn't stay internal. It comes out in our praise. Look at what James says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. In heaven, the Apostle John witnessed this scene and the vision God gave him of future events. I told you there's a number of of moments of worship in the book of Revelation. Look at this one. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Listen, I don't want to get into a discussion this morning on what kind of expression of praise is the right kind of expression of praise. You know, should we lift our hands? Should we clap? Should we dance? Should we bounce up and down when we're leading worship? <laughs> right? I, I don't want to get into a discussion of the right... Because if we go down that road, this is what we're doing. All of a sudden, we're coming right back to the externals. Oh, and this is what real worship looks like. You've got to do it, you've got to do it like this. Right? No, that, that's not the point. The point is that our any worship that glorifies God is to be expressive and it's to be public. We don't come here to meet God, but we do come here to meet with one another and collectively express our praise to God. And if you can't do it here, where can you do it? You know, some of, some of us, some of you are sanguins. You've got that personality, right? You're very expressive, just Naturally. And so your worship is going to reflect that. Some of us are phlegmatics. We're less expressive. And our worship is, is going to reflect that. And I'm not asking you to change your personality when you come to church and be somebody that you're not. But here's what I'm saying. No matter who you are, no matter what kind of personality you have, all of us should be eager to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, to ascribe to the Lord glory do His name. You know, every now and again, in our worship service, either Brad or I will will have a moment where we'll say, "Call out something that you're, you you want to you want to praise God for," and 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 many of you will will call out things. And invariably, as we do that, someone will say, I, "I praise God for salvation, for forgiveness, for my relationship with Him," and that really is at the heart of it, isn't it, of our worship of God? I mean, there's a lot of blessings that we all enjoy in life, and that we rightfully praise God for—daily blessings, temporal blessings, absolutely. But when we go back to kind of the heart of it, our praise to God is because of who He is and what He has done for us. That He has invited us into this relationship with Him. Not only has He invited us, but He has paved the way for us to enter into that relationship with Him. This morning, that ought to be the heart of your worship. That ought to be what motivates you to to ascribe to the Lord glory, glory, do his name but if you've never entered into that kind of relationship if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior you may not be at that place maybe there's a lot of things you can thank God for health, you know a job a lot of things, you know what the Bible says the Bible says God sends the rain on the just and the unjust which means by his grace we all experience his blessing in some very important needs in our life, but here's the thing in order to, to, to experience the blessing of eternity with Him, in order to experience a relationship with Him begins right now and it lasts forever, you must come to Him on His terms. And here are His terms. That you acknowledge that you are a sinner. That you've done things that, that are wrong. That you've violated Him. His holy standard, which is a reflection of His holy nature. You must acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for you and for me, and in doing so, He did everything that was necessary to pay the penalty for your sin. And you must personally come to Him and say, Jesus, save me. I accept you as my Savior. When you do that, We talked about this last week. If you're willing to do that, let me tell you what God is willing to do. He's willing to receive you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. And then you have a reason to worship and honor and glorify God because you know Him for the gracious God that He is. Maybe you're here this morning and you're right at that place in your life. You're saying, you know what? That's me. I I need to cross that line of faith and put my trust in Jesus. I've never been right with God because I've never done that. Done a lot of things. Gone to church. Tried to live a good life. Done a lot of things. But I've never done the one thing that God requires of me. That is to put my faith in Christ and acknowledge Him. This morning, if that's you and you're ready to do that, listen, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. And this is how we can work that out. There's several ways you can get a hold of me and let me know that, that this is something you want to talk about. When we, when we sing our song of invitation in a few moments, you can come right down this morning and you can just say, you know what? That's me, let's talk. I want to know more about this. So I'm right at the, I'm ready to do this. You can catch me after the service. I'm always here. You can fill out the communication card with your name and your phone number and check the box that says, I want to talk to somebody about what it means to be a Christian. Drop it in the offering plate or these white boxes I've referred to and I'll get it and I'll call to you and talk to you about what it means. We'll meet if we need to, whatever it takes. Call me during the week, email me, whatever it takes. But if God is working in your heart this morning saying that's what I need, don't put him off. Don't put him off. The Bible said today is the day of salvation. If God is working your heart, then today is the day you need to respond to him. Let me know, not because I can save you, but I can sure tell you what God has said about what he's done for you and how you can receive him. Would you do that? Maybe as we stand in a moment and sing our song of imitation, you just need to do, you just need to worship God. You just need to reevaluate not only your expression of praise right here, but your attitude of humility in your life of service. And you need to think about your worship. And does your life bring glory to God? Do you live before Him in an attitude of humility? Maybe. You want to express that attitude of humility by bowing and kneeling. You can come on up here and kneel. You can just turn around where you are and kneel. Whatever you want to do as an expression of praise to Him. If Listen, if that's what you want to do, the important thing is what's going on in your heart and that you have that heart of humility before Him. So maybe as we sing, you need to do a little business with God about your worship. Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we thank You for... the invitation that you give us to worship you. And Father, we do so knowing that you are the one and only God. You are the only one worthy to receive our praise. The only one worthy to receive glory and honor. The only one to whom we can ascribe these things. Father, we recognize that You are infinite and we are finite. And we come before You in this attitude of humility to worship You this morning. But Father, we pray that as we leave this place, we would leave with this awareness that Sunday morning between 11 and 12 is not God's time. And then the rest of the week is... Our time, Father. Let us leave with the awareness that every day is Your time. That we are Your temple. That You've taken up residency within us, and that our lives are to reflect that. And Father, we pray that as we incorporate that kind of thinking into our lives, that it would bring You pleasure, and it would honor You. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.